I can't say enough about the band here, three of which are my kids, so I guess I'm supposed to be proud of them anyway. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. My name is Michael, I'm the pastor here, and we want you to know that no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. I'm so honored that you are with us today. I'm kind of counting down the days till we're able to be back inside. That sounds pretty nice. It's kind of humid out here. I don't even have any curls in my hair, but I think it's going to curl my hair today. Um, <laughs> that's going to be happening sometime next month, and someone's going to say, okay, preacher, what day next month? And I'll, I'll tell you when God tells me. Deal? Y'all live with that? Deal? Okay. All right. Um, there are things that we need to do ahead of that. We probably need to have one more work day up here and kind of have a last little sprucing up and cleaning. The biggest question is our kids' ministry. Um, Grace, who you saw up here singing with us, is going to be taking a, a lead role in our, ch- our kids' ministry. So, right, excuse me, right now we are needing some, uh, we need the volunteers and uh, to work with the kids. We're going to need a lot of help there. So if you can help work with the kids, let me know. We need that. That's kind of the biggest thing. Because uh, the way I feel about kids, if we don't, I would rather not do it than not do it right. Because we got to have a program that is safe for the kids and, and that is the right thing. So we want your help with that. People have been asking about my wife, Katie. She is healing up great from the surgery, but she's got a lot of other health issues that are bugging her right now. So pray for her. Pray that she can rest. Appreciate that so much. Um, we're looking, hopefully, to do some softball this summer in the church league. If you have not told me you want to play softball, you need to tell me, like, right away, because we don't quite have enough to play right now. And I'm not against you inviting people to come and play with us, but they need to come and be a part of our church services, okay? So we can't just, like, bring in a ringer from somewhere and, and throw them on the team when they've not been active in services. So you need to get them here if you have somebody who wants to play. Now, the biggest thing I want to talk to you about is what starts next week. We've been doing some discipleship classes through um, Zoom, okay? If you've done any Zoom meetings over the last year and a half, you know that there are limitations when it comes to Zoom. It's like, I see you on the screen, and I know you can hear me, and you, I can hear you most of the time, but it'd be nice to be face-to-face. So what we're going to start is next week, 4.30 p.m. inside our building, will be the first of the face-to-face discipleship uh, classes. We're going to be uh, going through uh, the Growing Up book, right, David? The Growing Up book. Uh, David and Lucy are taking a lead role on that, and I think you'll really like it. Get in touch with David and Lucy Boudreaux if you'd like to know more details. Four o'clock? Okay, four o'clock. Sorry, I'd written down 4.30. My bad. Four o'clock. One, two, three, four o'clock here on Sunday afternoon. Well, I'm kind of hoping it doesn't rain on me today, but over the last year of doing this, we've been rained on. We've been snowed on, we've been sunburned, we've been frozen, and we're still here. Can we say to God be the glory, we're still here? It's been a year and we're still here. It's been a year since I've preached inside a building. That's weird to me. That just feels weird. Um, I I won't know what to act like inside. That's probably, when I was a little boy, I played outside most of the time. I think I know why mom sent me outside, because I was too wild to be inside. Well, yesterday, given all this rain, I got to experience one of my my favorite little pleasures of life. 
in between some of the rainstorms that we had, there was that, that smell of rain. You know what I'm talking about when I say you can smell rain? It's not like the rain's actually happening yet. It's you can smell that it's about to rain. I love that smell. It's just a good, earthy, wholesome clean smell. Scientifically, there are reasons for that. It's not the rain, really, we're smelling. The, the increased humidity in the atmosphere makes the plants release some oils, and microorganisms in the soil release some, some organic compounds, and all of that sciencey stuff happens, and they mix together in the air, and we smell the smell that we call the smell of rain. I love that. We had a lot of rain yesterday. Glad to see Billy and Kelly are here and didn't get washed away. I preached several weeks ago on um, the phrase, if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, most of us, that's just a metaphor, but for them who they live on the creek, it actually has meaning. If the creek rises, they might actually not be able to, to get places. So, Of course, um, smelling rain, it's really neat that we can smell rain, but that's not usually how we know it's going to rain, right? We have a much easier way of detecting rain coming. We use our eyeballs. You can look, and in the distance, you might see a storm on the horizon. You see lightning, you see dark clouds, and if the wind is blowing from that direction, you have a pretty good idea that it's going to rain, right? Yeah. We can see the storm coming most of the time. And that's sort of what I want to talk to you about today. In a manner of speaking, we can look into the distance and see a storm on the horizon, we know something is coming. Last week I introduced us, or we were introduced to a concept that the story of this universe as we know it, the story of our world, earth, and everything else, that story will have a conclusion. There is going to be an end game. Most people know the term end game because that was the title of the most recent Avengers movie. <laughs> the comic book movies, but it actually comes out of chess. The end game is a part of a chess match where the outcome is decided. And in the story of Earth, the universe, creation, there will be an end game. There will be a conclusion eventually to what's going on here. And, uh, well, just as you don't have to be a meteorologist to see a storm on the horizon and, and know it might rain on you, you don't have to be a pastor or a preacher or a theologian to look into the distance and see, well, where is this world headed? And when you kind of look at it now, it doesn't look like it's headed towards a positive ending right now, does it? I mean, even folks who don't necessarily believe anything like what I believe look into the future and say, well, if things keep going the way they're going, I, I don't know that we're headed towards a man-made utopia where we all sit on the story carpet and eat goldfish crackers. Man, wouldn't that be nice? But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It looks a little more difficult. There's no denying that the world feels a little more unstable and unpredictable than it did even a few years ago. Do you guys feel that? It just feels, feels a little different. feels different now. And I've had people ask me, I guess because I'm the pastor guy. Well, do you think the end times are coming soon? Do you think we're already there? 
what about this? What about that? Do you, do you think the Lord's going to come back soon? And to that I say, I sure would like to see the Lord come back. That would be nice, but it's a fair question. You know, these are good questions. Are we, are we almost in the end times? Good question. But I've got a question I like even better, and it's this. If we see a storm on the horizon, why don't we just go ahead and get out of the rain? That makes sense, right? You see a storm coming? You get out of the rain. <laughs> if we know there's going to be a conclusion to the story, then let's make preparations so that it's a good ending for us. If there's going to be an end game, let's make sure we're on the winning side. If this story of the world is someday going to come to a close, then it should affect the way we live, right? That should influence the way we live, the way we think, the, you know, what we value. The reality as of everything as we know it is it's temporary. Someday God is going to build a much better world than this one. And in the meantime, if we want to be ready for that world, we need to build on a solid foundation. See, nothing in this world is quite solid. Nothing at all. And I read in the Scriptures this incredible truth that we cannot, there is no other foundation on which we can build than Jesus Christ. Anything else you try to build your life on will eventually crumble. Even the good things of life. Even good things like, you know, family and good health. Those are great. But even those are temporary and you can't hold on to them forever. Jesus is the one who will last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's before the beginning and after the end. And if you're receiving this message right now and you don't believe a lot of this Jesus stuff, I want you to know that you are still welcome, you are still wanted, and you are still loved. But we are unapologetically rooting for everyone to meet this Jesus we talk about because we think he is just that great. We want every person to find life and hope and peace and renewal and forgiveness and restoration in Jesus. We're all about that. So you hang around, you be a part of what we're doing, and hey, this Jesus stuff, it might just rub off on you. We're, we we want to see that happen, not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. We really do believe there's life and hope and, and peace and a new beginning in Jesus. So if we're all about Jesus around here, I'd kind of like to hear what he has to say about all this end times stuff. Did Jesus talk about this? As a matter of fact, he did. We're going to be in Mark 13 today, if you want to be finding that, if you've got a, a paper Bible with you today, or if you've got a device, you can look at, I don't care if you have your, your phone out or whatever, you know, if you're engaging with the service, that would be good. Um, Mark 13 is a place where Jesus spoke extensively about the end times. It is a really important passage, sometimes called the Olivet Discourse. And uh, because he was on the Mount of Olives looking back at the city of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is on the east of the city of Jerusalem, and from that place he could look across the valley and see the big temple up on the hill. This is also recorded in Matthew chapters 24 and 25 and in Luke chapter 21. So if you want to get a fuller understanding of what I'm talking about, go read those two. You see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of the life of Jesus kind of from four different camera angles. So if you really want to get the fuller picture, many places the same event or the same message is recorded, but it's from four different points of view, and you get a few different details each time. So 
We're going to be in Mark 13, which is a pretty simple presentation of all of this. And Jesus is talking about the storm on the horizon. Before I begin, I just want to clear the air. Most everything that I say today and in the coming weeks, somebody's going to disagree with me on that. There's a lot of various opinions about all this end time stuff. So if you have a different opinion than mine, hey, we'll still get along. If you want to talk about it, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I'll promise you this. Here's my promise to you. Here's the Michael Shockley guarantee for what it's worth. Is I will share with you the very best that I can as God will help me to understand. How about that? And if I've got something wrong, may the Lord teach me. And sometimes he grabs a hold of me and says, hey, you've had this wrong. You need to get it right. But this, you know, I don't approach this subject lightly. And I know you don't either. So let's, uh, let's see what we can. This is Mark 13, verses 1 through 4 is where we're going to start. Then we'll read some more. I'm going to read for us here, and then I'll pray. Then as Jesus went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Our Father in heaven, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll help us to understand these are not easy things, and we don't dare approach them without your help. So I pray you'll give us a clear vision now to receive what you want to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus and his closest followers, the 12 disciples, were in Jerusalem, and they were at the temple. The temple was the, the center of worship for the Jewish people, and it was this big, beautiful, impressive building. Everything was ornate and gold-plated, and it was just the best place on earth, according to to the folks who lived at the time. And the disciples, as they are walking out, they're, they're ooing and eyeing over the temple. They say, Lord, don't you see? Wow, look at this temple. It is so amazing. Isn't it amazing? Look at the stonework. Look at the size of it. Just check this thing out. Now, they expected Jesus to react something, you know, like said, oh, yeah, you're right, man, it sure is good. You know who had the idea for that temple? That was my father. My father in heaven had the idea for that temple, and boy, didn't he plan out something good. Isn't that nice? But that is not what Jesus said. He said, you see all this temple? You see all these buildings made of stone? The day is coming when not one stone will be left on the other. It will be torn down to nothing. That was shocking for the disciples. They could not understand something like that happening. This was the the most important building to God's people. And the idea that it would be destroyed, that's sort of hard for them to swallow. And why is Jesus Jesus getting so dramatic here and saying, oh, yeah, you like like that building? It's going to be gone. It's going to be destroyed eventually. Now, Jesus was right, by the way. Something like 40 years later, the Romans came in and destroyed the building. But that's not completely what he's talking about here. He's using the idea of something so grand as the temple being temporary to remind them that everything is temporary. The most beautiful buildings 
the greatest, most impressive things the world has to offer will someday be gone. Someday be gone. Nothing lasts forever in the material world. One of the people listening to Jesus speak that day was Peter. Peter was one of the closest followers of Jesus, and Peter is most likely the one who told this story to Mark, who wrote it down. Mark was not one of the 12 apostles, but Peter most likely told this story to Mark. And Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.11, which was our verse for last week, he kind of summarized the same thing, and I paraphrase here. He said, knowing that all this material world will be dissolved, that it will eventually go away, we need to live for God and not for this world. That's good advice. So the disciples were amazed to hear Jesus talk like this. And they obviously had some questions. I mean, if someone says, look over there at Family Dollar. Someday, Family Dollar is going to be gone. You'd say, well, when? That's where I get my shoes. I heard growing up, I like your shoes. They make me holler. Where'd you get them, Family Dollar? Anybody else hear that? And nobody, am I just, am I the only one? Somebody's back there. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, when, when kids are little, they grow out of them so fast. Why are you going to put Nikes on a three-year-old, y'all? That don't make sense to me. Hey, you do you. You do, you do you. Um, no worries about that. I don't even think Nike was a thing back then. That was a long time ago when I was a little kid. Anyway, if someone said something is going to be destroyed, one of the first questions would be, well, when's this going to happen? And, of course, they asked Jesus, well, when's this going to happen? Not just when is the temple going to be destroyed, but I think Jesus sort of took their question and decided to, to answer these questions in regards, when is this whole thing going to wrap up? All right? So he doesn't give them the answer to that question. They said, well, when's it all going to happen? Hey, isn't that the question that we have too? When's all this end of the world stuff going to happen? Because I'd, I'd like to be ready. Um, but Jesus doesn't give them that answer. That is not something we get to know. We're told in Matthew twenty four thirty six, which is a parallel account of the same sermon, that no one knows the day, no one knows the hour. So if anybody says, I know when the Lord's going to come back and when this story is going to come to a conclusion. They don't know. If they say they know, they don't know. Don't be mean to them about it. But just know, in your heart of hearts, they don't know. They don't know because Jesus said no one gets to know that. They did ask a second question, though. They said, what signs will show us that the time is coming soon? Jesus would give them that answer. And that's something we still want to know, right? We, we want to know, well, what's the signs that that this story is going to come to a conclusion sometime soon. So let's read what he says. This is in Matthew 13, verses 5 through 8. I'll read that for us here. And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, some folks say this is talking about the, the tribulation, which is that terrible time described in the book of Revelation. I don't think it's there yet, you know, because it says in verse 7, 
the end is not yet. So I'm thinking this is what's leading up to. This is the, the, Jesus describing how the world is going to be looking leading up to that time. This is one of those parts where, you know, we won't fight over that detail because the heart of the message is, is plain here. So Jesus starts with a warning. He says, be careful that no one deceives you. The days leading up to the second coming of Jesus and the, the conclusion of the story of this world will be marked with deception. That deception will grow and grow. We live in an age where we have more access to information than ever, and yet we always have to take everything we hear with a grain of salt. Because we know that every story can be spun in any direction to suit the purposes of any party. So it's difficult these days to know what to think and what to believe. Jesus specifically warned against uh, the deception of false saviors, people claiming to be, well, a Messiah, a Savior, to be Jesus. You know, through history, there have been hundreds of people who have claimed to be Jesus or a reincarnation of Jesus. Uh, some of the names that you might have heard somewhere along the line, these are kind of go a ways back. Names like Charles Manson and uh, Jim Jones and David Koresh. Again, that's been a while ago since we've heard anything that big, but there's still some out there who claim to be Jesus. I once met a guy who claimed to be Jesus. This was weird. All right, this was in my first church. I was, I was very young, even younger than I am now. No, I don't get the thing. Man, you're young to be a pastor. I don't hear that anymore, but I did back then. And uh, my office, it was more of a conventional setting, and I had an office Man, what, I'm forgetting, forgetting what that's like. I haven't had an office in a while. Um, <clears throat> my office is my recliner. That's where I study. Uh, but I was in my office, and a guy comes in asking for the pastor. And he's a big guy, okay? He's at least my height, and he's got 50 or 60 pounds on me. And I could tell right off, this something's a little off with this fella. He had some, he had some things going on, okay, mentally that were, were probably not healthy. And I spoke to him a while and said, hey, how are you doing? He's, he was just walking. He was walking along the parkway. And um, after a while, he says to me, I am the second coming of Jesus Christ, and I would like to speak to the church. And at that point, I said, sir, I think I'm going to have to stop you there. I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I I think you're going to have to go on. Now, all this time, remember, this is a big guy. And I'm thinking, Lord, I think I can take this guy, but it's it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess if I do. Now, how would you like that if you walked into church one Sunday morning and you had found out the pastor had a fist fight with a drifter just before the service started? Would that add a little spice and flavor to your Sunday morning? <laughs> Billy's, all, Billy's all for it. Thanks, Billy. You got my back right. We're going to tag team. No, I'll tell you what, I was praying the whole time. I had one young deacon at that church. His name was Roger, and he had arms like tree trunks. All right, and I said, Lord, could you please just send Roger in about now? If this goes bad, Lord, I'd really like to have Roger there. Uh, the Lord did send Roger, but didn't need him after all. I'd rather have him and not need him than need him and not have him. But the guy moved on. I have no idea where he went. But I can tell you with a fair degree of certainty, he wasn't Jesus. <laughs> he claimed to be Jesus. He wasn't Jesus. So most of the time, we're not going to meet someone who says, I am Jesus. You're going to say, okay, what you are is crazy. We won't have that too much. 
But what we will have is people who claim they have all the answers and set themselves up as some kind of savior. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm trying to be careful around this subject, but I'm just going to tell you like it is. Pretty much every politician and every political party tell you they can solve all the problems if you just give them all the power. But you know what? Anybody who says they have all the answers is usually trying to sell you something. So be careful about that. There's no human being who's going to rise up as any kind of a, a savior, even in a minor sense. Now, I'm thankful when God raises up good leaders and, and who, who are at least more altruistic than average, but uh, we're not going to find our answers in human leadership. This, this sort of deception is going to get worse and worse as days go by and as we get closer to time. And the scriptures tell us that eventually a, a deceiver will arise that is even better than all the others and will set himself up as a, as a false savior, a false messiah. We know him by the name of the Antichrist. And Lord willing, in a, in a few, two or three weeks, maybe we'll talk about that and get some information on that. So that's going to be that's going to be a weird one. Tune in for that one. Even if you're not here in person, you might want to find the recorded message of that and, and see how that goes. Jesus goes on to tell us that the age leading up to the end, there will be uh, wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against nations and kingdom against kingdom. And conflict is certainly a hallmark of our age. You can't catch the news in any form without the rumors and rumblings and reporting of war and conflict somewhere in the world. There's extreme unrest in certain areas. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict is fired up again. You got Al-Qaeda and ISIS controlling huge swaths of territory. You got powers who we're kind of not sure what they're going to do, like Russia and China on the rise and and, uh, America the leadership position in the world kind of not as secure as it once was. Now, I'll be honest, I'm very careful not to conflate um, patriotism and and um, spirituality. It's not the same. Being an American is not the same thing as being a Christian. Being a Christian is not the same thing as being an American. Some people um, around the world just assume everyone in America is a Christian, and I say to that, if only, <laughs> that would be nice, but that's definitely not the case. It's not the same. I wish just everybody who thought they were a Christian was a Christian that would, or lived like a Christian. That would, be, that would be a good place to start if the Christians were just Christians. That, let's, let's do that. But anyway, you know, looking into the prophetic horizon, I've read all these scriptures about um, what's coming, and, and without doing some pretty serious interpretive gymnastics, it doesn't look like America's going to be a big player. Now, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's enough to get me concerned. So we need, to, we need to pray for our nation, pray for our world. Jesus goes on to talk about phenomena in the natural world, like earthquakes in surprising places, like, say, Sparta, North Carolina. We, we had an earthquake like 30, 40 miles from here recently. That was wild. Did anybody feel that one? I, I didn't really feel that one so much. Now, the one we had like back in 2011 or so, I did feel that one. That one was weird. Um, also, we could probably add to that, he didn't specify here, but it sort of implied other natural disasters, you know, hurricanes and floods and fires and tsunamis. And uh, did it feel like in 2020 we almost got our apocalypse bingo card filled up? Did anybody line up the dots on their apocalypse bingo card? We Pretty much everything but an, a big asteroid hitting the earth. We, you know, global pandemic, check. Australia's on fire check. Everybody's being crazy, check. Can't even get toilet paper, 
Check. All right, that's, hey, that's like five in a row. Good. Hey, we win, or did we? (laughs) Jesus says there will be famines and troubles. Some parts of the world already have food insecurity, and COVID-disrupting supply chain has really made that more difficult. Um, Speaking of COVID, for the first time in a long time, we've got to see the chaos created by a viral pandemic, the loss of life, absolutely, but also the loss of livelihood, and it's affected everybody whether they've been infected or not. So Jesus concludes by saying, now get this, here's your inspirational moment for today. Jesus concludes by saying, these are just the beginnings of sorrows. You like that? Wow. Thanks, Jesus. That sounds pretty depressing. (laughs) Please rest assured, it is not my purpose. I did not get up early this morning and prepare to come up here and depress you. I'm not here to discourage you this morning. Generally, I don't need someone to help me get discouraged. Life takes care of that on its own. I need somebody to encourage me. And this is a message of encouragement because even though those words sound kind of dire, this is only the beginning of sorrows. There's a lot of hope packaged in there. We just have to know how to look at it. There's a huge amount of hope in there. How can there be hope in such an ominous statement as, these are just the beginnings of sorrows? Well, here it is. The beginnings of sorrows literally means the birth pangs, the pains associated with childbirth, leading up to childbirth. Now, let me just say before you folks and God and everybody, I am totally unqualified to talk about the pain and struggle of childbirth. I have three children, and I tried very much to support my wife through the birth of those three children, but I was not the one doing the work at all. So shout out to all the mamas out there. Bringing life into the world is an incomprehensible miracle. You are a miracle worker. If you got a mama anywhere near you, you just look at her and say, you're a miracle worker. You're a miracle worker. And you know what? They're going to smile and they're going to blush and they're going to say, oh, you, about time you figured it out. You're a miracle worker. But that miracle comes at a cost, doesn't it, mamas? Because it's a lot of struggle. You know, I'm just, I'm just the guy standing there holding her hand. I'm like, okay, this doesn't look like something I could handle. <laughs> the process of childbirth is painful. It takes a toll both physically and emotionally. So someone might be saying, okay, guy who has never given birth and doesn't know what it's like to squeeze a human being out of your body, why are you saying this is full of hope and this is great? Well, we know that childbirth is difficult, difficult in ways that I'll never be able to understand, but all the pain does lead to joy. In the end, a new life has entered the world. And again, I cannot speak with any sort of firsthand experience to know what it's like to be a mother and give birth to a child, but it has been testified that the pain and the struggle fades when they give you that baby, and that baby's in your arms, and, and you're like, hey, this is, this is worth it after all. Jesus uses this way to help us, this explanation to help us understand the end times because it's going to be like that. It's going to be a lot of pain. It's going to be a lot of struggle like the world has never seen. However, the end result will be joy. It will be blessing. It will be peace. Something new is being birthed through the travail. A new universe, a new way of being human. God's going to bring about a whole new world that is so much better than this one. Get this, a world without sorrow, a world without 
tears, a world without pain, a world without death. Sign me up for some of that. Am I right? There we go. I know. You're just so enthralled with my eloquence. You didn't even know to beep your horn. Uh, Yeah, okay, sure. Anyway, anyway, in this world, let me start over. Someday the new world is going to be birthed, so to speak. If we continue to understand it in that context, we might say, right now we're at the point of the pregnancy where mama's starting to get uncomfortable, okay? The baby is running out of room, running out of room. And mama's like, hey, it's about time we have this baby, just about time, maybe a little past time. Let's go have this baby any time now because I'm getting uncomfortable, starting to hurt. Um. I remember when my wife had those Braxton Hicks contractions. It's like the contractions that aren't really contractions. They just feel like contractions. The baby's not coming, but it feels like, why don't this baby come on now? We're sort of at that point in the world where the, the world is having the, those birth pangs that it's not time yet, but man, it feels like it's getting close, prophetically speaking. The signs are there. It cannot be much longer. Or... If that metaphor is uncomfortable and you want to go back to the weather metaphor, for some of you gentlemen who might not be able to relate to the birth thing, we'll look at the weather metaphor. If you see a storm on the horizon, we don't know when it's going to reach us, but we can see it's coming. We don't know when the conclusion of the story will come, but we know it's coming. And the signs around us show us it's closer than ever before. So if this story does have a conclusion, if there is an end game plan for this world, for reality as we know it, how do we, what do we do? How do we prepare for it? Do we dig a bunker and fill it with cans of beans? Why is it always beans in the bunker? I don't know. In my mind, if you're in an enclosed space with other human beings and you've been subsisting on beans, you are setting yourself up for trouble. Okay? I ain't living in a basement for seven years with a bunch of people living off of beans. It ain't going to happen. Don't do that. If you're going to dig a bunker, hey, you do you. Put you something other than beans in there. Have a little beans for days when you don't get along and you want to punish the people who are with you. Just kidding. Don't do that. Anyway, you do you. You want to dig your bunker? That's fine. But what if I told you there was a better way? What if I told you there was a better way? Right? I mean, to me... If you see a storm coming, maybe the simplest solution is to get out of the rain. Get out of the way of the rain. Yeah, get out of the way of the rain. You see a tornado coming at your house, leave your house. That sounds like a good idea. Maybe it's not. I don't know. If it's way far away, if there's time to evacuate, okay, not when it's about to get you. I don't know what I'm talking about. Meteorologically, meteorologically, about the weather. I don't know what I'm talking about about the weather. But I know some of this theology stuff. Look, let me put it like this. Here's something we can understand. Okay, remember the, the story of the flood in the Old Testament with Noah and the ark and all that? Yeah, yeah, okay. We, we remember that one. Even if, you've, even if you've never cracked open a Bible, you've probably heard that one. So in the story of the flood, God warned the world that it was coming. There's going to be a flood. Day's coming. Going to be a flood. And people are like, flood? What's that? We don't even know what rain is. But, well... We warned you, it's coming. Only Noah and his family believed. Noah and his family believed and they obeyed. And God made a way for Noah and his family to be spared from the judgment of the flood. 
before the first raindrop fell, the people who believed were safe inside the ark. So is it just possible that God will make a way for those who, are, who love him, who are on his side, who have believed, who have trusted, to be spared from the bad part of the conclusion of this story? And the answer is yes. Yes, there is. And Lord willing, I want to talk to you about that next week. Next week. So yes, there is a storm on the horizon, but we know the master of the storm. We know the one who can calm the wind and the waves, and his name is Jesus. He is the one. Do you notice what he said in this, the most important line? I sort of skipped it on purpose as we went through and didn't cover it. I read it, but I didn't talk about it on the way through. I was hoping somebody would catch that. This most important line in the whole passage right there in verse 7. Jesus said, when you see all of this, when you hear all of this, do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. That's a big statement in the face of him talking about wars and rumors of wars and false messiahs and and earthquakes and famines and all of this. He says, do not be troubled. How's that possible? Well, if you've got Jesus, you don't have to be freaked out about the future. He holds the future. You don't even have to be troubled about the prospect of the world as we know it someday ending. If you trust in Jesus, it's going to be okay. It really is. And I know that sounds like the simplistic preacher guy answer, but it's still true. One plus one equals two every single time. Okay? Jesus plus nothing equals you're going to be okay if you trust in him. There is going to be a happy ending. It's going to be bad before it gets good, kind of like childbirth. It's going to, there's going to be pain and struggle, but it's going to get good. There's going to be the blessing. The good guys will eventually win. If the storm is coming, take shelter. And the only shelter in the storm is Jesus. We need to take shelter under Jesus. And with that, I want to pray. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our shelter These matters are difficult, and some of them are confusing, but we know, Lord, that someday the world as we know it's going to end, and we need Jesus if we want it to work out well for us. So I want to pray for everyone receiving this message now, that you be working in their hearts, that they would put their trust in Jesus and be saved, that they would turn to you and say, Lord, I believe, I I want to be forgiven, I, I want to be on your side, I want to be in your family, I want this new life and this hope and this peace that you're offering. Lord, please, I believe, please save me. And Lord, I want to pray for the folks who have made that decision somewhere along the way, that you'd give them the strength to be a light in this dark world and to not give up hope no matter how difficult it may seem. Lord, we love you so much and thank you for the promise of a new world to come in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Lord willing, we're going to continue with this endgame series next week, and we'll talk about something we call the rapture of the church. And if you want to get controversial, 
Well, there'll be a lot of controversy there, so, uh, oh well, that sounds like fun to me. Sounds like a fun conversation to have. I'm so glad that you're a part of this today. Let folks know that we're here 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. every Sunday. Be praying about uh, us being able to move back inside. Be praying about how the Lord wants you to be a part of that. We absolutely need kids ministry volunteers. That's kind of like our highest priority, but there's a lot of other things to do. If you come up to me and say, hey, Michael, I'm not really good with kids, but I'm good with this, this, this. All right, hey, we'll find you something to do. That's going to be exciting. God bless you guys. I look forward to seeing you next time. See you.